Last summer, Marina and the kids were out of town for the week. If I remember right, they were in Chattanooga. The kids were going to the vacation Bible school at the church where my family is. And on Friday night, I was out late. And I was getting home at about uh, 1.30 or so. And I didn't turn on any of the lights because I was going to rush right up to my bedroom and read the book that I had just purchased. And so I'm walking through the house in the dark. I walk up the stairs, open the bedroom door, and there's a man there. It scared me so bad I just nearly fell down the stairs. However, quickly I realized that it wasn't really a man, but rather someone, or or maybe I should say some two, had snuck into my house and taken this this life-size cardboard cutout that we have of a movie character and placed it right there inside my bedroom door. And even now, just thinking about the shock that it provided starts my heart pounding just a little bit. And and while I'm preaching the sermon, I'm going to try to figure out still how I can get Jonathan and Kurt back for that. But you know, sometimes there are things that are just shocking. Things that are surprising, even a little bit frightening. And sometimes that happens to me even when I'm reading the Bible. There are some passages that I come across, and not that I haven't read them before, but maybe because of a different mindset or maybe just because of what's going on in my life, they stand out a little bit differently and they're just a little bit shocking. They're surprising and sometimes even frightening. And that's exactly what happened to me this week in our reading through the book of John. If you've been going through our Get Attention to Reading, we were reading the first ten chapters of John this week. And we came across this passage, John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40. And it says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now most of you here have heard me preach. You know that I'll quote Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 and talk about the Bereans who were noble-minded because they searched the Scriptures daily. You know that whenever I teach, I point out how important it is for us to know the Scripture and be in the Scripture and study the Scripture. And so you can imagine how it's a bit shocking for me and frightening to come across the passage that says that I can search Scripture and still not have life. Because as Jesus was talking to these Jews, that's exactly what he said. He said, you search the Scripture, and you think that in the Scriptures you can find life, but you don't have it. And how frightening that is for me to think about the fact that we might search and search and study and study and know and know, but still die and die. The reality is, I don't want any awards for Bible knowledge. I want eternal life. Therefore, I think it's important for us to take a look at the context here of John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, and understand what it was that these guys were doing wrong because we don't want to repeat it. We want to search the Scriptures and have life. So I'd like for us to take a few moments this morning and figure out how that happens. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty and glorious God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. We praise your name because you are awesome, and we know that life is found in you, in your Son, and your Spirit. Father, we pray that you help us to search the Scriptures in a way that does give life. Help us not to be dead, 
but help us to be changed and renewed and regenerated by Your Spirit, by His Word. Father, we pray that You would strengthen us to come to know You and Your Son. We pray that You would strengthen us to shine Your light throughout the world so that others can come to You as well. Forgive us for our own arrogance and our pride, for the times that we take satisfaction in what we have accomplished. And help us to lean totally on You because we're weak and You're strong. Father, thank You so much for giving us Your Word. Help us to study it and understand it. Help us to use it to come to know You and glorify You and Your Son through whom we pray. Amen. If we're going to search the Scriptures and have life, the text says that we have to come to Jesus. There in John chapter 5 and verse 40 it says, Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. What we learn about these Jews is that they were willing to come to the Scriptures, but they weren't willing to come to Jesus. If we're going to have life, we're just going to have to understand this. It is not enough to come to just the Scripture. We have to come to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean ignore the Scripture. That doesn't mean the Scripture doesn't matter. That means we keep the Scripture in its proper place. The Bible is not an end unto itself. It's not enough just to know the Bible. It's not enough to memorize the Bible. It's not enough to be able to quote the Bible. We have to use the Bible as the means to get to know Jesus. That's the thing that we have to understand. Knowing the Bible is not the end. We know the Bible in order to know Jesus. We have to understand that. This is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and it's not enough just to come to the Scripture. We have to come to Jesus. What's interesting is this controversy that's taking place here. This conflict began back at the beginning of chapter 5 when Jesus healed a man, but He did it on the Sabbath. And if you notice in verse 8 of John 5, Jesus said to the man, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, these guys had come to the Scripture and they understood the, the law and the ins and outs and they could, they could hash out the details of the Sabbath law to the nth degree, but it never once occurred to them that somebody who could just speak healing to a man who had been an invalid for 38 years might know a little bit more about the Sabbath than they did. It just never occurred to them to stop and say, man, this guy just did something absolutely amazing. Maybe we should listen to him. Because, and we'll highlight this a little bit more in a moment, because they were able to go to the Scripture to find out about the details on some of the laws, but they ignored the parts about the coming Messiah. And so when he got there, they didn't recognize him. Here's the thing that we need to remember. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to understand this. The Bible is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Understand this. We can't know the way, the truth, and the life apart from coming through the Scripture. I know that. But the point is that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And we use the Bible as the means to come to Him, to learn about Him, to know Him, and to learn how to emulate Him. We've just got to keep these things in the right order. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, it says that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The Bible was not written merely for us to believe the Bible. The Bible was written for us to believe Jesus. We have to keep it in the proper order. 
we must not become so enamored with knowing the Word of God that we do not know God the Word. And I think perhaps there's a good test for this demonstrated in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, Paul pointed out that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. If we are spending so much time knowing the Word of God that we do not know God the Word, we'll find that our study merely produces militancy, harshness, and arrogance. But when the Bible is helping us know God the Word, then we'll find that we're learning service, love, gentleness, even with those with whom we disagree. That doesn't mean that we just accept or, or accept everything and say everybody's okay, but it just demonstrates that even when we're facing those who disagree with us about what we know from the Word of God, because we have studied, we become more like God the Word. Servant, loving, gentle. More like Jesus. If we want to have life, it's not enough to just come to the Bible. We have to use the Bible to come to Jesus. The second thing we recognize in this passage is that we have to believe all of Jesus' Word. There in John chapter 5, verse 45 through 47, Jesus said this to the Jews that were listening. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how, you, how will you believe my word? Jesus said, you guys don't believe Moses. You don't know his word. As a blanket statement, as an absolute statement, that wasn't true. They did know Moses, they knew his writings, and they believed his writings, or at least part of his writings. That's why at the beginning of the chapter, they were able to argue so vehemently about the Sabbath law, because they knew it and they believed it. But what Jesus pointed out is that they knew parts of it. They believed parts of it, but parts of it they had ignored. And of course, Jesus' point is, when you ignore parts of it, you've essentially ignored it. You don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to decide, these are the parts that I like, these are the parts I'll study, these are the parts I'll teach. We've got to believe all of it. All of Jesus' Word. These Jews accepted the parts where they could argue about the law and make themselves look good, but they didn't accept the part that told them about the Messiah. Isaiah 53, they didn't accept that part. Psalm 22, they didn't get that part. They ignored those parts because they couldn't argue over them and make themselves look good. We've got to be careful. If we want to have life, it's not just enough just to search the Scriptures. We've got to believe all of Jesus' Word. How easy it is for us to pick and choose the parts that we want to study. I, I don't know how many Christians I've met that, you know, just almost every time you start talking Scripture with them, they always get around to their pet peeve. They've studied one or two issues inside and out, and everything always leads them back right to there. And they always want to get to that point. They're hobby writers, and that's the key. And they know that issue inside and out, and of course they believe that makes them the supremely mature Christian because nobody else knows that issue like they know that issue, and nobody else follows that issue like they follow that issue. The problem is they've ignored a whole bunch of the Scripture. How easy it is for us to pick and choose the parts that we like. But what about that part in Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, where Jesus says to us, that, Well, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and bless those who curse you. I don't know about you, but I don't like that part. What about Ephesians 4.31? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I like that for you. Because, you know, there's sometimes I just want to hang on to my anger. 
I want to hang on to my malice and my resentment and my bitterness, and I really don't feel like trying to be kind and tenderhearted. And sometimes I don't like that verse. And so I find it easy to be able to argue about Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 because I like that verse. I find it easy to be able to argue about Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 because I like those verses. But sometimes ignore these other verses that I don't like so much because, well, frankly, because they're the ones that hit me where I need it. If we really want to have life, we don't get to pick and choose the verses that we spend our time believing and teaching and practicing. We've got to believe all of it. Isn't that really what Matthew chapter 7 Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, wasn't that part of what Jesus was pointing out there when he says, Judge not that you be not judged. Matthew 7 and verse 2, For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. One part of Jesus' point there, that we need to be looking at the passages that deal with us first. And instead of just thinking about the passages that we can point out for everybody else and what they're doing wrong, we need to believe it all, even the ones that hit us where we need it most, whether we like it or not. So I want to have life. It's not enough just to come to the Scriptures. I have to come to the Scriptures and believe all of it. The third thing we recognize is that the Word of God has to abide in us. The Word has to abide in us. In you. There in John chapter 5 and verse 38, as Jesus was rebuking the Jews, he said that part of their problem was, You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. The word has to abide, it has to dwell in there, it's making its residence within us. He says, If you want to have life, that's what you've got to do. The word's got to be dwelling there, living there, residing and governing what is going on. You see, the Jews were happy to know a little bit of the word. The Jews were happy to know enough of the Word to make themselves look good to everyone else, but they didn't pursue the Word so that it might truly change their lives. It seems to me that there are a whole lot of people that want to know enough of the Word to make them look good, but they still want to be just who they are. They don't want to get into the Word enough that it actually changes them makes them something different, takes away their preconceptions. How many people know enough of the Word to say, I have my own form of religion? Instead of getting into the Word so that they can have God's religion and be changed by what God has here. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 22 in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 22, Paul said, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what the Word's for. That's why we come to Jesus, so that the Word can take residence in our hearts, it can renew our minds, renew our lives, regenerate us, and make us different. If the only difference between us now and before is that, that we've learned to follow a few religious rules like making it to church a couple times a week, making sure we don't worship with instruments, making sure we take the Lord's Supper every week, if the only thing that changed is that we've learned how to follow a few religious rules, then we don't have life. 
Because the reason for those things is not just to check those off the list, but to change us. And allow the Word to dwell in us so that as we face our life, the thing that governs us is God and what He has said. It's not enough to study the Bible. It's not enough to know the Bible. It's not enough to have it memorized. You could have the whole thing memorized and still be lost and go to hell. Because it's not enough to memorize it. It's got to change us. And if it doesn't change us, we can quote it all day long and it won't do us any good. It's got to have residence in our hearts and our minds dwelling there, governing us and the way we live. Changing us. From the people we were to the people God wants us to be. That was why they didn't have life. It's not enough just to come to the Scriptures. We've got to come to Jesus because we believe all His Word and we allow His Word to change our lives. But Jesus made another point. He said that part of the problem was they didn't have the love of God within them. If we really want to have life, we've got to have the love of God within us. There in verse 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. It never occurred to them that the reason there was a Sabbath law was because God loved them. When they looked at the Sabbath law, they didn't see God's benevolence and beneficence pouring down upon them, providing them a time of rest and rejuvenation and time of worship to connect with Him. What they saw was a prison. They saw something where their job was to hash out everything to the nth degree so that they might have kind of this this burdensome prison upon them, and, and their job was just to measure up to that. It never occurred to them that God gave them this law for their own good, really. He gave them this law as a whip, they saw. And how easy that is for us. How easy it is for us to get into the mindset that our job is to learn all the rules so that we can, we can pressure everybody into doing the things that we want them to do or that, that God is somehow up in heaven and what He's done is come up with this list of rules because what He wants is to make everybody do everything exactly His way because He's a master and slave driver. That's not why God has done this. As we learned in our Bible class from John 12, 49 and, and verse 50, Jesus said that He didn't speak from His own authority, but what His Father commanded, He spoke and He taught. Why? Because His commandment is eternal life. We need to see the love of God behind what He has revealed here and have that love within us. So th- this is twofold. Having the love of God within us means seeing the love of God through what He has revealed. I think about Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 that points out to us, or verse 8, that points out to us that our Father knows what we need before He asks Him. He knows us. He knows what we need. And then in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11 where it says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Not only does He know what we need, but He wants to give us good gifts. He loves us. The thing that He wants to give us is our good things. And James chapter 1 and verse 17, in James chapter 1 and verse 17, where it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above, from coming from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's two sides of this. Number one, everything that God gives us is good. And everything good is God's gift to us. God loves us. He cares about us. The law He's given to us are not arbitrary rules to see if we can measure up. What He has given us is the means to eternal life and freedom. And we need to see that in the laws and rules that God has provided. We need to have the love of God within us. But the other side of having the love of God within us is the fact that we, as we relate back to God 
and to the others around us that we relate with love. You know, it just amazes me that these Jews saw a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And they saw him pick up his bed and walk. And all they could think about was the fact that in their mind he was violating the Sabbath. It didn't once occur to them to glorify God. And it didn't once occur to them to rejoice with this man who had now been healed of a 38-year sickness. Why? Because they didn't love God. Why? Because they didn't love that man. The love of God was not within them. And we need to realize that the purpose for what God has written here for us is for us to glorify Him, loving Him, and loving those around us. Yes, we need to know what He has authorized. Yes, we need to follow what He has stated as His rules. But not just as the rules, but because that's where love is. That's how God has loved us, and therefore we should glorify Him. And if He loves us, how should we ought to love others? 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. This is 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All of this has been given to us so that we might love God and that we might love each other. And if we want to have life, we have to have the love of God within us. Not just the rules of God within us, but we have to have the motivation that says, here's the reason we follow these rules. Here's why God's rule matters. Because what He's giving us is eternal life. He's demonstrating His love to us, and therefore I'm going to return that love and love those who are around me. And finally, Jesus pointed out to the Jews that the problem was they were seeking glory from one another. He said, don't seek glory from one another. Seek glory from God. There in verse 41, as He said to the Jews, He said, I don't receive glory from people. But then in verse 44, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? As I sit here and think about this story, it just amazes me. How could they not get it? How could they not see what was going on here? And I think Jesus provides the answer right here. They were worried about the glory that came from their peers. They were worried about the glory that came from the men around them. Not about the glory that comes from God. And not about the glory that they ought to give God. Matthew chapter 6 demonstrates this. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, excuse me, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. See, that's what these Pharisees were doing. That's what the Jews were doing. They were practicing their righteousness so they could be seen by men. And he gave three examples in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. And then in verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When these Jews 
offered help to someone. They weren't doing it to help them. They were doing it to look good and receive the accolades of men. When these Jews prayed, they weren't doing it to praise God. They were doing it to receive the praises of men. When they fasted, they weren't doing it to devote themselves to spiritual things and devote themselves to godly things. They were doing it so everybody would look at them and say, look at how spiritual they are. I wish I could be as spiritual as they are. They wanted the glory of men. And so what happened? They had developed their own systems and traditions, and then they were satisfied with looking good before their own group of people. They were afraid they might get put out of the synagogue. And so they were satisfied with the glory that came from men instead of the glory that comes from God. And how easy that is to do today. I mean, I know that... I. I fall victim to that. I mean, there are times when I'm sitting here preaching, or thinking about preaching something, I'm studying something, I realize that something's the truth, but I can pick out somebody that I know won't like it. I know they won't like that part because it kind of goes against what they've done or what they like. And, 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 I, and because I like them and because I respect them and I want them to think good of me and when we're done, I want them to walk out and say, oh, good job, Edwin, man, that was the best sermon I ever heard on that topic. Kind of think, well, I, I, may, just not, I may just not say that very much. Kind of gloss over that part how easy it is for us to do that. But we need to be like Paul in Galatians chapter 2. Excuse me, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. In Galatians 1 and verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Here he's talking about the circumcision. There, there were Christians that thought circumcision uh, was, was what they should be doing. And, and Paul had been a part of that group. He had been among the Pharisees. And how easy it might have been for him to continue to try to receive their accolades and their praise. And for them to give him the pat on the back and say, hey, good job, Paul, we're right behind you. He said if he had done that, he wouldn't be the servant of God, he'd be the servant of man. He wouldn't be the servant of Christ. And this even caused him one time to have to withstand Peter, another apostle to the face. Now in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. It's not about serving man. You know, the reality is, we can study our Bibles and study and study and study and preach and preach and preach in order to defend what we've always done so that our more traditional brethren will be happy with us and that won't give us life. At the same time, we can study and study and study and preach and preach and preach in order to change everything we've always done so that our less traditional brethren will be happy with us and that won't give us life either. It's not about what men think. And I, I don't know how many discussions I've been in. I, I'm on this forum on, online. I'm about to have to get out of it because it's just too much trouble. But, you know, it, it's funny how I see people get on two different sides. And, and they're in a discussion forum and <clears throat> going at it toe-to-toe. -to -toe, but then when you get over onto their own blogs, how people on the different sides, they're patting each other on the back. Oh, great answer. Good, oh, you know, you're, so, you're my favorite teacher. You're wonderful. And how easy it is to be so intent on receiving those accolades from the people that we like instead of making sure that what we're doing is really what the Bible says. It's not about getting glory from men. It's about receiving the glory that God offers. We receive reward from men, and that's why we're doing it. That's all we get. If you would have life, 
What Jesus pointed out is it's not enough just to come to the Scripture. You've got to come to the Scripture in order to come to Jesus. You've got to believe all that He said. You've got to let the Word abide in you and change you. You've got to let the love of God dwell within you. You've got to be more concerned about the glory that comes from God than the glory that comes from man. That's when we'll have life. It's possible for us to search the Scriptures. We can know all the rules. We can teach them. And we can go to a church that practices them. But it hasn't actually given us life. Unless we're doing these things. It's, it is frightening. You know why it's frightening? Because it's easy to read the Bible. It's even easy to memorize the Bible. It's even easy to pick out some things that might make us look different from everyone else in the world and make sure that we check those off the list. But it's not so easy to let Jesus come into our heart and change our lives, make us into new and different people. That's not so easy. I think that's why the Pharisees and the Jews had trouble. They were taking the easy road. We need to make sure that we're taking Jesus' road.